Sheila Zielinski Show, the only show to give you the truth behind the headlines, prophecy, and the deeper things of God. Now, here is your host, Sheila Zielinski. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Sheila Zielinski Show for this May 19th, 2016 edition. I broadcast weekdays, that's Monday to Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on WINB. So a big shout out to all those tuning in from WINB. And of course, we broadcast in high quality CD stereo sound at weekendvigilante.com. And there are a lot of options to listen. If you want to find the podcast or download the app, that's the new Weekend Vigilante app for smart devices. Hey, and if you have the app, and if you have not updated it, do update it to the latest version as there's some very cool new features we've added. We've heard from you and we've made some changes. And we've got a couple more changes coming that you're really going to enjoy. So we hope that you are enjoying the Weekend Vigilante app for smart devices. And if you have not signed up for my free e-newsletter, do so because I do send out alerts and bulletins as well as a monthly newsletter to keep you posted on what is happening. Well, I'm excited to jump right into things. My guest today is no stranger to tackling tough issues. It is a one and only Pastor Michael Hoggard from Bethel Church in Missouri. He is a man on a mission. And let me tell you something. This man is a wealth of information, very astute and very well-researched. And let me tell you, this guy, he knows his stuff. And it is always my pleasure to have him back on the program. Pastor Mike, welcome back. Good to have you on. Good to be with you again, Sheila. Well, Mike, I think we just might be ruffling some feathers today because we are going to tackle an issue that I think is not being talked about enough. Now, you did a series called The Dark Side of Hebrew Roots, and let me tell you, there is a dark side. So we're going to get into that because I'm finding there's a disturbing growing trend. I've certainly noticed it in the last few years to the point of nauseam with these Hebrew Roots folks. Hebraic traditions, feasts, holidays, and language pronunciations are creeping into the Christian church. And here's a good example of a letter that I just recently received. In fact, I just received it this week. But this really sets the foundation for what we're dealing with. Let me read this to you. Shalom, Sheila Zelinsky. May Abba Yahuwah bless you through the engrafted Torah of the renewed covenant by which Yeshua HaMashiach, the son of Yahuwah, Purge the house of Yisrael, the north and south, far off and near, from sin through the mikveh of the Rauch Hagadash, probably not pronouncing that right, so that they are one new man and new body to walk in the statutes of the Torah of Abba Yahuwah. Elohim. You know what? You get the picture. 
And as much as it seems like a new movement, this thing really isn't a new movement at all, is it, Mike? No, it's not. And um, my sort of journey into wanting to understand what the Hebrew Roots Movement was all about, it started a few years ago. I'd, I'd read something somewhere that the biggest enemies of the gospel of Jesus Christ in the Bible, you start reading in Matthew, go all the way through, were the Jews. And I thought, man, I don't know if I believe that or not. So I'm reading the Gospels, and of course, the people who hate Jesus the most are the Jewish rabbis and the Jewish leaders. And then you get into the book of Acts, and the book of Acts is where it really hits the fan here, because every place—the church starts in Jerusalem. And so there they are, and people are becoming converts to Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus Christ, and they're being saved. And all of a sudden now, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem are going to have none of it, and so the persecution starts, and so they have to leave Jerusalem, which was a good thing because they left, and when they went from Jerusalem, they went preaching the gospel everywhere. And when they got to Judea, out, out of Jerusalem, they were persecuted again. They go into Samaria. They're preaching the gospel. Then they're persecuted again. They're, now they're in the uttermost parts of the world. Here we are today. People are still preaching the gospel. But the point is, when you look at the book of Acts, every place where the gospel was preached, there was two groups that always opposed what was being preached. It was, number one, of course, Paul ran into those who were making idols there in Ephesus. That was their craft, and that was their living. They were getting quite wealthy from making all these idols. And, of course, they withstood Paul, and they withstood the gospel because Paul was preaching that, you know, God dwells in temples not made with hands. And so this inflamed all of those guys who worshipped Diana and made all these idols. But then, consistently, over and over and over, you have Peter and John. And here they heal a man in the temple. They raise him up, and he's walking and leaping and praising God. And they ask, you know, what power do you do this? By Jesus of Nazareth. And they're preaching this. All of a sudden, they get pulled into the Sanhedrin. Sanhedrin tells them, do not preach in his name ever again. And Peter said, we ought to obey God rather than men. So they beat them, and they walked out, and they kept preaching the gospel. Then, then it, the fire really starts because the hatred and the venom that comes out of the Jewish people. And trust me, I am not in any way against the Jews. I'm not anti-Semitic. I believe that God has a greater thing that he's going to do with a remnant of Israel. You see it in Hebrews. You see it in Romans 11. You see it in Revelation chapter 7. Those promises that God made in the Old Testament to the seed of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I absolutely believe they're going to be fulfilled. But right now, God has taken the Jew, and he's partially blinded them. They cannot see who their Messiah is. They cannot see Jesus for who he is. And just like Paul explained in Galatians chapter 4 when he was teaching about Sarah and Hagar, Sarah represents, Sheila, you and I, who are, who are born from heaven, all right? We are freeborn, and we're not under bondage. Hagar represents and her son Ishmael, he was born from her, so he's in bondage along with her, and that represents those who were born under the covenant of Mount Sinai. And this is very important to remember, something you said earlier, this email that you read where they talked about the renewed covenant, and I'll explain what they mean here in a little bit, but it has everything to do with Hagar and Mount Sinai. Paul said that Hagar and Ishmael represent those who were born under a covenant, 
at Mount Sinai. And he said, just as then it is now, just as Hagar and Ishmael mocked and persecuted Sarah and Isaac, and remember, Abraham had to put them out. So it is now with the Jews and those who were born or those who are under the covenant of Mount Sinai. They persecute and hate those who believe in Jesus Christ and are free born. And so, as it was in Jesus' day, as it was in Peter and John's preaching, and as it was in the days of Paul, so it is now. The Jews to this day, they are still... Um, they are haters of the gospel. They hate the New Testament. They hate Jesus. They hate the Gentiles who believe in Jesus. And I believe that the, the very root of what they call the Hebrew roots is not a unique study of the Old Testament, maybe with fresh eyes or whatever. That's not it. These people who teach the Hebrew roots movement, people like Sid Roth and probably about 50% of the guests that he has on his show, it's supernatural. He is Hebrew roots. You have guys like Jim Staley, who was running a growing worldwide ministry teaching the Hebrew roots until he breaks the commandment of stealing money. He stole hundreds of thousands of dollars posing as some sort of securities trader, and the federal government got involved, and they found him guilty. He confessed to it, and he's spending about seven years in prison right now. But he was trying to take the Hebrew Roots movement mainstream. He was getting hooked in with guys like Joseph Farah of World Net Daily. And when I first started doing the Watchman broadcast in 2009, I was reading World Net Daily every day, and I saw something change in World Net Daily's reporting. They started going over to, like, the Sabbath Keepers, Seventh-day Adventists. Then they started getting involved in the Hebrew Roots movement. Then Jim Staley comes in, and he is a... Um, he writes an editorial like once a month for them or something like that. And what Staley was trying to do, and Staley is from this area. He, uh, he lived about an hour from here, and that's where his quote-unquote sabbatical church or whatever he calls it, that's where it was. But anyway, Staley was trying to bring the Hebrew Roots movement into the mainstream, trying to convince people that they are born-again, Bible-believing Christians. They uh, believe the same doctrine of grace in Jesus Christ that you and I believe in. It's just that they have a different perspective because they've gone into the Hebraic perspective rather than what Staley called the Greco-Romanized, paganized view that you see in most churches. So he's trying to present it to... Christians as if this is the real Christianity. But the truth of it is, it's not. They won't use the term, terms like Old Testament, Old Covenant, New Testament, New Covenant. They won't use terms like that. Anytime they're going to reference Moses, the law, and the Old Testament, they use the word Torah. Anytime they're going to reference what's in between Matthew and Revelation, they will not call it a New Covenant. They will not call it a New Testament. They give you some Hebrew phrase, and I can't think of it right off the top of my head, and then they tell you, because they know that more than likely you won't know Hebrew, they will tell you this doesn't mean New Testament as if it's a brand new covenant different than what God gave them at Mount Sinai. This means the renewed covenant, and what that means is, is that if you really want to know Yahushua or Yeshua or 
however they pronounce it. They don't even agree as to how they pronounce the word. If you really want to know and be part of Yahushua HaMashiach, then you must go back and be a Torah keeper. You must, you must have the renewed Mount Sinai covenant apply to you. Then you'll have the real salvation. You'll know the real Messiah and so on. And so with them altering just a few key words, like from new covenant to renewed covenant, what they're doing is exactly what Paul warned against all through the book of Galatians. He warned against them going back to Mount Sinai and being under the Mount Sinai covenant. Because he said, if you're going to say, I'm going to keep the Torah, and I've heard Staley say it, I've heard Rob Skiba say it, I've heard uh, Rabbi Ralph Messer say it, Monta Judah, and some of these, I mean, the list goes on. Michael Rood, all of these guys are saying that they are Torah keepers. They want you to think, then, that they keep the laws of the Old Testament. They enforce obedience to the law as a means of pleasing and honor God. Paul says in Galatians, he says it very plainly, that you who want to be under the law, do you not understand that you are going to have to be a debtor to do the whole law? And here is where the Hebrew Roots teachers and the Hebrew Roots professors and like this email you got, obviously this is someone who has fallen for this lie, is they want you to think and they teach that, well, of course we can't keep all the law but God wants us to keep as much of the law as we can because that's really pleasing to God. Now, the Bible clearly says that God told Israel, and he told them, if he told them once, he told them probably a dozen times, that they were to keep all of his laws, all of his statutes, and all of his judgments. James says that if a man... Uh, keeps the law and yet offends in one point, he is guilty of all. In other words, with the way God sees it is he gave Israel all of these laws. He gave them the Ten Commandments, and then uh, the Jewish scribes, I think, they say there's 613 different laws in the Mosaic Law, and that's what they're supposed to keep. God says, I give you all these laws. If you break one of them, you've broken the law. Let me illustrate it like this, okay? If, if I'm going to rent a house from somebody or an apartment and we sign a lease, that lease represents the covenant that the landlord makes with me. If the covenant, the lease says that on the first of the month, I have to pay $800 in rent. Um, and if I don't pay that $800 on the first of the month, um, I can I violate the lease. If I show up on the second of day of the month with $700 in my hand, I have broken the lease, and that guy could have me kicked out legally because I broke the covenant. And that's the way God's old covenant at Mount Sinai is. You either keep every single one of them or you die. And so one of the problems with the Hebrew Roots Movement is that it is trying to teach people that if they keep some of the Old Testament or the Torah commandments, that they could please God. The problem is, there is only one person in all of human history who ever kept 
every single law, and that was Jesus Christ. God was pleased only at his son's obedience. He can never be pleased with our version of obedience, because our version of obedience is we do eight out of ten commandments, we break two, so what? God should be pleased with the eight that I did. And that is not how God teaches it. In Ezekiel 33, God told Ezekiel, Ezekiel, son of man, say unto the people, in the day that a righteous man commits a, a transgression or he breaks the law or he sins, in that day, all of his former righteousness is wiped off. It's gone. And he now becomes guilty of the law. And the Hebrew roots people, they believe in their mind. They've been taught this. And they teach others that you must keep as much of the law as you can. And if you break a law every now and then, it's no big deal. But God really wants you to keep Torah. He wants you to keep all these feasts. He wants you to sit down with us at a Passover Seder. And Sheila, I just did a um, three or four part series on the spiritual root of what the Hebrew Roots Movement, and I found out that the source of the modern Passover feast that practically every Jew all over the world uh, sits down and observes, 90% of it never came from the Old Testament, never came from the Bible. It had a different source. Exactly. And guess what that source is? In its very essence, we're talking about Jewish mysticism from the Kabbalah. This is incantation-based witchcraft, really. Now, you talked about Sid Roth's program. Did you see that guest on there, and he told the audience the importance of proclaiming God's promises in the original Hebrew? They want you to believe, essentially, that the Word of God, it only comes to pass when we speak it in Hebrew. Oh, sure. And um, I've got pulled up here. There's an article on Sid Roth's website. It's supernatural. It wasn't written by him. It was uh, written by a woman by the name of Lonnie Lane. And here's what she says. She says, I know just enough Hebrew to have found more places that I am comfortable with where the English seems to be saying something the Hebrew does not. The most significant is the use of, and they put letters here, yod Hey vah Hey, which in English is translated as Lord in all capital letters. In Hebrew, it never says Lord at all. It only says like yod Hey vah Hey, and, you know, the Hebrew roots people, and I'm going to bring the sacred name people in here because they're sort of like the first cousin, the Hebrew roots. The sacred name people are the people, and this is what I was first introduced to years ago. So a pastor's wife brought this to me and said, Pastor Mike, is this, is this true? Should we be using the Hebrew names? And I looked into it, and I went, no, no, huh, I don't know who came up with this, but I'm pretty sure it was the Jewish rabbis. But anyway, it's this idea that you must say the yod he vah in the perfect way. You must say it either as, uh, some say it Yahweh, Jim Staley says Yahweh, uh, there are others who say Yahuwah. There are others who say Yahuvah. There are some who say Yahovah. And they don't even agree amongst themselves how the yod heh vah is really supposed to be pronounced in, uh, in its original Hebrew. And then you have, this, this is what gets me, Sid Roth's show, a guy named Jonathan Burness. He refers to himself as Rabbi Jonathan Burness. Uh, Jim Staley used to call Paul Rav Shaul. He would never call Paul 
as the Apostle Paul. He always referred to him as Rabbi Saul. And that Rabbi Saul learned the proper Torah-keeping from Gamaliel, who was Paul's mentor or whatever. And Staley uses that to try to convince people that Paul really wants us to keep the Torah like he did. But anyway, here's Rabbi, which the Bible says you're not supposed to call him man Rabbi. Here's Rabbi Jonathan Burnus, and he's on Sid Roth's show. He's talking about the power of the Hebrew language. And he says on there that God's power comes on you when you speak his word and pronounce his word in the original Hebrew. He takes Proverbs 18.21, for instance. I'm going to read Proverbs 18.21 out of the King James. It says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. So Burnus, as he's quoting this verse, he changes it. He says the tongue has power over life and death, and that's not what it says. Then he goes on to say the tongue is a creative force, and I've got a book uh, one of my members brought to me where they used to be in the charismatic word faith movement, and they brought me this book. It's written by Charles Caps, and it's basically about the tongue, and it calls it a creative force. There's this teaching. It's in the Hebrew roots movement. It's in the uh, word faith movement that you are like God, and everything that you say comes to pass. Only the Hebrew roots people basically change it to you got to say it in Hebrew. So Bernard says the tongue is a creative force, and what separates us from all of God's creation is articulate speech. He said, I believe Hebrew as a language is a creative force. It is a super language. And then, of course, Sid Roth jumps in and says, so what you're saying is when we proclaim God's promises in Hebrew, you get the full meaning of what God meant rather than that one English word in our translations. And then when they're advertising, and Sid Roth is all about the money, they're going to advertise these products that Burnus is going to sell in this program. And the advertisement says, when the prophet spoke in Hebrew, God's word came to pass. And Sheila, when I heard that, I laughed, because <laughs> it is true that when God's prophet spoke, God's word came to pass. It's because it's God's word, okay? And God's word never returns to him void. What they're trying to tell you is, is that since the prophet spoke in Hebrew, then that forced God to make those words come to pass. Now, I've studied the last probably 10 years. I've read books on witchcraft. I've read books written by witches on their craft, what they believe, how they do things. And I can tell you, and I, I make no apologies on this, that this sacred name and speaking the Hebrew words and God likes to hear Hebrew and he doesn't like to hear that Greek and everybody knows the New Testament was originally written in all Hebrew and then they ruined it when they translated it to Greek. Rob, Rob Skiba actually says that. He actually says that the, the New Testament was written in Hebrew and they ruined it when they translated it into Greek. But anyway, it's this idea that if we speak these words in Hebrew, then coming out of our mouth is this force that these Hebrew words have creative power and that you can create wealth, you can create health, you can create prosperity, you can do anything you want to as long as you utter the Hebrew words over and over and over again, and that forces God to perform the magic that you're proclaiming to do. Here's the thing. 
at no time does Jonathan Burnus, when he says, I believe Hebrew is a language, is a creative force, it's a super language. At no time did he ever go to the scriptures, Hebrew, Greek, or English, to back that up. You'll not find it there. It's not in the Bible. So my question was, if these guys are saying all this, Jim Staley's talking about the white fire and the black fire, and I've never heard that before. And then they're telling us that the Hebrew language is a creative language, and it has the force of God. It's got the power of God in it. You speak it, and God has to do all these things. I wanted to know where that came from, because it didn't come from the Bible. Where did they get it from? Then I found out, and Staley's the one that tipped me off on it. I found out that they were getting it, not from the Bible, not from examining the Old Testament in a new way or going back to the original Hebrew even. They were getting this from ancient Jewish writings like the Tanakh, the Midrash, the Babylonian Talmud, and the Zohar. And then there's a whole slew of other books that had been written in like the, uh, the medieval times all the way up until now. But essentially, you're getting people from the Hebrew roots, Jonathan Burnus, Jim Staley, Rabbi Ralph Messer, Monte Judah, Michael Rood. They're not getting their doctrines from the Old Testament. They're not getting their doctrines from a new understanding of Paul's book of Galatians. They're not getting their doctrine from there. They're going to the Zohar. I caught Jonathan Kahn, the guy who wrote The Harbinger, the guy who wrote about the, the Shemitahs and the Four Blood Moons, which none of that stuff ever came to pass. He preached a message about finding this truth in the Zohar. Um, Jim Staley, when Jim Staley, first time I ever listened to Jim Staley, he was doing a thing on the Book of Romans, and he made this statement. He said, I believe that the Christian church has divorced the white fire from the black fire. And I went, what did he say? Where did that come from? So I started searching for it. Lo and behold, the idea of the white fire and the black fire comes right from the teachings of the Zohar. It comes from the teaching of the mystical rabbis who are into the Kabbalah, and which is basically Jewish witchcraft and Jewish mysticism. The Kabbalah is everything that God told the Jews not to learn from the Canaanites and the Peravites and the Hittites and the Babylonians. They learned it, and then they incorporated it into their teaching. The Kabbalah has this symbol they call the tree of life. It's actually the tree of knowledge of good and evil because it has the union of opposites on it. They call it on one pillar, they call it Yahweh, and on the other pillar, it's called Shekinah. Now, Shekinah is supposed to be God's girlfriend. And when God and Shekinah, his female partner, when they mate together, then this glory is released. And that's why you hear preachers talk about the Shekinah glory. They didn't get it from the Bible. They got somebody, somebody conned them into saying that, but it comes directly from Jewish mysticism. God accused Israel in the Old Testament of worshiping Baal and Ashtaroth. My stipulation is they're still doing it, but they don't call it Baal and Ashtaroth anymore. They call it Yahweh or Yahuwah or whatever, and then they call it Shekinah, and those two mate and bring about this, this mystical thing who is like the union of male and female, yin and yang, light and darkness and so on. It's basically the Antichrist is who it is. But the white fire and black fire that Jim Staley was talking about comes right from the Kabbalah. The black fire 
is the Jewish mystics, they teach this idea that when Moses was on Mount Sinai, that God gave him two Torahs. He gave him one that he was to write down in ink on this white parchment. The other Torah was an unwritten Torah, a secret Torah, an oral Torah. It was not to be written down. Moses then has this secret doctrine that he has from God, and he can't tell it to everybody. He only tells it to his elect few, and then it's handed down through the ages. The Jews have a word for that. The word Kabbalah means received as in the tradition. And if you take that word tradition, take it to the scriptures, you'll find what Jesus said, you have made vain the commandments of God by your tradition. And what Jesus was saying was, you have destroyed my law and my commandments that I gave to Moses at Mount Sinai. You've destroyed that with your Kabbalah that you piled on top of that. But anyway, the black fire is the black ink that's on the parchment where Moses wrote down God's law. That's the black fire. According to the Zohar, the white fire is the blank paper, and there's some sort of rule when a, when a scribe writes the Hebrew letters on a scroll, there's supposed to be so much space between the Hebrew letters, they're never to touch one another. That's because they believe that the white fire, which is the blank white paper, has the secret Torah in it, while the black fire, which is the ink, has the written Torah on it, and the, the scribes and the rabbis and the mystics, the Kabbalists, all agree that there is more to be learned from God by what's in the white fire than what there is in the black fire. And what they're saying is, you won't find and understand who God is by his word that he gave to Moses to write down. You're going to find more about God by emptying your mind, repeating these Hebrew words, going into a trance. God is this all-nothing that can only be comprehended, not by words and not by writing, but by this blank space on the paper. And so Staley used that. He used the phrase, divorce the white fire from the black fire. And what that means is, they divorced Baal from Ashtaroth, and those two pe people need to come back together so they can create the Antichrist. And when I found out Staley said that, I knew that he had gotten his teachings, not from the Bible, but he got them from the Kabbalah, Jewish mysticism. And then, of course, the source where these rabbis got their stuff is a, is a whole other topic. Well, the Talmud, for listeners, that's the early book of the Jews, known as the Wisdom of the Rabbis. They say it's kind of a encyclopedia of Jewish knowledge, a Jewish Wikipedia, if you will. But this, Michael, is a frightening 38-volume doctrine of men. This is their Bible. They say Jesus Christ in one section is boiling in a vat of hot excrement. I mean, this, oh, thing, yeah. this thing's straight out of the pit of hell. Now, you just quoted Mark 7.13 there, making the word of God of none effect through your tradition. Right. This whole tradition-keeping thing, it's an affront to the finished work of the cross. What can you add to salvation? Why would you go back under the law that brought death when you have been given the 
better covenant by which the Spirit, the Holy Spirit gives life, the teachings of these groups, it diminishes the finished work of the cross, making him a liar, essentially. They're, they're in essence saying Christ lived and died as an example to us, but we must keep the law to be saved. That's heresy. Well, sure it is. And it's exactly what Paul, I mean, Paul said it in no uncertain terms in the book of Romans, in the book of Galatians. You see it in Hebrews. The neatest word in the book of Hebrews is the word better. And you'll find that word, I don't know how many times in the book of Hebrews, because whoever wrote Hebrews, I think it was Paul, some say it was somebody else. But anyway, in the book of Hebrews, they're always contrasting the Old Testament and the law with a better testament, a better covenant. Okay, And so the Hebrews, is, it's just amazing when you study it out. But here's the thing. Jim Staley and some of these other Hebrew Roots people, they don't like the Apostle Paul. They don't like Romans. They don't like Galatians. And they don't like Hebrews. They don't like it the way it's written, let's say, in the King James Bible. They don't like it. So the first thing, I'll, I'll just give you Jim Staley's own testimony. This is what he said. In fact, Jim Staley was on Sid Roth before, of course, Staley went to prison. Staley was on Sid Roth, and Staley is telling his testimony. Staley used to be like an associate minister in an evangelical church in the St. Louis, Louis area, which is where we are. I actually uh, met a man who knew Staley, knew him from a child, and told me some very interesting things about him. But anyway, Staley was sort of this evangelical minister, and he's really struggling with, you know, his calling. He's struggling with the Word, and all of a sudden now, he goes into a trance, and in this trance, he sees, quote-unquote, Jesus. Now, Paul warned us about another Jesus, another spirit, and another gospel. They'll always go hand in hand. Staley sees this Jesus, and he, he says that this Jesus is showing him the house of the Lord, which is the church, and it's in ruins. The whole church, the foundations of it are in ruins because of the false Greek Roman paganized teachings of the New Testament, and that Yahweh, this is what this Jesus is telling Jim Staley, that Yahweh is going to use Jim Staley to restore that foundation. Now, as soon as he says that, I'm just going, now I know he's a liar because 2 Timothy 2.19 says, nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure. The foundation of God's church has never been in shambles. It's never been destroyed. It can't be. So what happens is, is that Staley says that this Yeshua that he sees in this vision downloads into his mind an absolute perfect understanding of everything in the book of Romans. He now understands Hebrew idioms. He now understands Hebrew language. He now understands this. And it was all, he said, it's like I had a microchip in my brain, and it was all downloaded into my brain. <laughs> so that when he comes out of this, his wife is freaking out because she says that she saw this spirit hovering over Jim Staley, and she was trying to rebuke it. I don't know how many times. So anyway, he sees another Jesus, and this Jesus gives him another gospel. And so Staley, I'm just using him for an example. You go to Staley's website, and you go to any of the Hebrew Roots website, there is always going to be their twisting teaching of Romans and Galatians. You will never, ever, ever hear Jim Staley, Rob Skiba, 
Michael Rood, any of the Hebrew Roots people tell you, get a King James Bible, read Galatians, believe exactly what it says. They will never tell you that because everything is just like you just said, Sheila. Everything in the book of Galatians says that we are saved without the works of the law. We received the Holy Spirit of God, not by the works of the law, but by the hearing of faith. And Paul made it in no uncertain terms. If it's of works, then it's not of grace. And if it's of grace, it is no longer of works. And what I've found is these teachers, and they all do it, even Jonathan Kahn, they talk out of two sides of their mouth. Their doctrinal statement and the statements out of their mouth will say, we believe that we are saved by grace through faith, period. And so that's supposed to satisfy anybody that might have a suspicion. But then, when as soon as they start teaching, here comes the law-keeping. Here comes the Torah-keeping. Here comes the strict obedience to the Old Testament rites and rituals, the Old Testament feasts, the Old Testament doings, and so on. Basically say that, yes, we believe in salvation by grace through faith, but if you're not keeping Torah like we are, we know you're not saved. And so they speak out of both sides of their mouth. They're, what is it? James said, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Yeah. And their doctrine is so unstable, they try to convince people that they believe in grace through faith, salvation. But then as soon as they start teaching, they'll go through the whole book of Galatians, and then they will make you think, after their teaching on Galatians, that what Paul really meant to say was you have to go back and keep the law and have the dietary restrictions of the Old Testament or you're not really saved. And it's, it's just like what the apostles decided in Acts chapter 15 at the Jerusalem Council. It's what Paul said in Galatians. It's what he said all through the New Testament. We can't keep the law. If we can't keep all of the laws, then we can't keep the law. So we cannot be saved by a partial keeping of the law. We are only saved by God's mercy and his grace and not of our works, not of our flesh, not of ourselves. It has to be the gift of God through our belief. And again, they didn't get this teaching, Sheila, from the Bible. They got it from the Hebrew sages, the mystics, the learned rabbis. Here's what cracks me up. The fundamental teaching of the Hebrew Roots and why they call it the Hebrew Roots Movement is that they believe that Jesus the Christ, which they don't like saying that, it's always Yeshua the Hamashiach, Jesus the Messiah, they say that the only real way to understand Jesus was because Jesus was a Jew, the only way to understand him is from the Hebraic perspective and not the Greek perspective. And what they're saying is the Jews for thousands of years have had all of these understandings of who the Messiah was going to be. And so since they wrote all this stuff, we should go back and follow their understanding of the Messiah so we can have the true understanding of who the Messiah really is. Here's the problem. Paul said that, that there is a mystery here that God has partially blinded the Jews until the fullness of the Gentile comes in. Paul says in um, 1 Corinthians, I think, where he is talking about Moses coming down from Mount Sinai with the law on his face shining, and Paul said every time the Jew reads the Old Testament, 
there's a veil over it, and they can't understand it. They can't see who Jesus is, who the Messiah is, even though the Messiah, Jesus, is in literally every page of the Old Testament Bible, they can't see him because there is a veil over their eyes. It's like the, they asked Moses to put a veil over his face to keep that light from shining on them. That light was Jesus Christ. Now, I believe one of these days, according to what Paul said, that God is going to lift that veil off of the face, and they're going to see Jesus, and they're going to know who Jesus really is. But right now, they don't know. They didn't even know their own Messiah when he was hanging on a cross in front of them, quoting Psalm 22, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? They had no comprehension of who that was and how he was fulfilling scripture right there on the cross, because Psalm 22 has in there the words that Jesus said, has in there, they parted my garments, cast lot for my vesture, they pierced my hands and feet, they mocked me. All of those things they did to Jesus on the cross was prophesied in Psalm 22, and Jesus said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And it just went right over their head. They're blind. So the Hebrew roots people are telling us that the best way to understand who the real Messiah is, is to go ask the people who completely got it wrong 2,000 years ago. Doesn't make sense to me. Well, and the author of Hebrews warns that professing believers that are tempted to go back to the temple in the Old Covenant shadow was to deny that Christ had come. We don't keep the feast by keeping the feasts. Instead, we keep the feasts by clinging to Jesus. He's our feast. You know, when I'm confronted, when I'm confronted, Michael, with certain things by these Hebrew roots, and by the way, these same guys that, you know, they never agree with the baptism, the Holy Ghost either. But uh -uh. whenever you're following the Hebrews, I say to them, where are you burning your sacrifices? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And they talk about, oh, we keep Passover. Do you keep Passover? Oh, you keep Passover? Where's your plane ticket to Jerusalem? Because I'm pretty sure (laughs) that God told the Israelites, the Jewish males, that three times a year they were supposed to go to Jerusalem to keep the Passover, to keep the tabernacles, and to keep um, the, the Feast of Pentecost. And, and they don't. They don't. They, l- let me get into this, okay? Because this really, this is where it gets into the familiar spirits part. And I've been teaching a series on familiar spirits. I hold the position, some disagree with me, but I hold the position that when Saul went to the witch of Endor, that what she conjured up was not Samuel. And here's why I believe that, because in the preceding verses, God clearly made it known. Saul was calling to the Lord all the time, but God was done with Saul. And the Bible specifically says that God would not speak to Saul either by vision or dream or by Urim or by the prophets. God quit talking to Saul by the prophets. So what he sees there, what is conjured up for him by this woman who hath a familiar spirit it cannot be Samuel, because Samuel was the prophet of God. And God said, I'm not going to speak to Saul anymore by the, by the prophets. So anyway, he goes to this witch of Endor, Endora, like on Bewitched. And, you know, he says, I need you to bring somebody up for me. Who do you want? Uh, I need Samuel. She, well, then she figures out it's Saul. What are you going to do? Set me up? You're going to have me killed? No, I promise you, just do it. So all of a sudden, she goes into her mojo, or whatever she does, and she sees this thing, and it scares her. And Saul said, what did you see? And she said, I see gods coming up from the ground. What did it look like? Well, it was an old man. He had a hood over his head. Saul perceived it was Samuel. And I believe that Saul was dealing with a spirit that was pretending to be Samuel. 
Now let's kick that forward. Paul told us and warned us about another Jesus, another spirit, and another gospel. So I believe the Antichrist is going to come on the scene. He's going to pretend to be Jesus, Yeshua, the Messiah, and all of this stuff. He's going to be, pretend to be Christ, but he's not Christ. He is a the, like the epitome of a familiar spirit. And here's what I found out. The Passover traditions, when the Jews have their Passover meal every year, and, and of course the Hebrew Roots people, they want to pound on you because you went to church on Sunday, and how come you don't do Passover? Because the Torah tells us to do Passover. We're supposed to do Passover, so how come you don't do Passover? And let me just point out some, some interesting things. Number one, if you go back and look at what God told Moses and the Israelites to do in the book of Exodus, is that when they're eating that lamb, they're supposed to be standing up, supposed to have their staff in their hand, because they're supposed to be ready to go. And so you go to a Jew's house or go to Hebrew Roots people's house when they're doing Passover, I know for a fact every one of them sitting down in a chair because I know that there is this tradition that whenever they have Passover, they set a plate and they put the, um, the horseradish on there, which are the bitter herbs. They put that little lamb chop on there and they set a chair out for a spirit to come and visit them. And that spirit is supposed to be Elijah. And at a certain point in the Passover Seder, the youngest child of the family jumps up and runs over to the door to open it to allow Elijah to come in and sit with them. And the thing is, there is nothing. If these people want to claim that they're keeping the law, then let them stand up while they're eating their Passover, because they're keeping this traditional Passover Seder, and almost none of it comes from the Old Testament. It doesn't come from the law. What it comes from is ancient medieval Kabbalists, guys like Isaac Luria, Joseph Caro. He's the, let me explain who this guy is. Okay, Joseph Caro. He wrote a book called Shulchan Aruch, or it's called The Set Table, and it's basically about how to do the Passover. And um, Caro, and I'm reading from my notes, Caro had become one of the rare individuals who merited to be instructed by a Magid, M-A-G-G-I-D, which is a private angelic teacher who revealed to him many Kabbalistic teachings. The Magid exhorted Cairo to sanctify and purify himself, and he revealed to him events that would take place in the future, including Messianic prophecies. And uh, in this book called She'erai Kadusha, Rabbi Chaim Vital explains that a visitation by a Magid is a form of divine inspiration, or this phrase, you've heard this before, Ruach HaKodesh. When these Hebrew Roots people use this term, uh, Ruach HaKodesh, they want you to think they're talking about the Holy Spirit. They're not. They're talking about some sort of inspiration that comes from a spirit, but it's not the Holy Spirit. It is a Magid. It is what the Bible calls a familiar spirit. And here's what's interesting. There's a teaching on how to do the Passover, and it's called the Passover Haggadah, the Magid. Oh. Yeah, they didn't get this teaching from the Bible. They got it from a familiar spirit. And that kid that goes over to open the door, he is opening the door to 
a spirit that is posing as Elijah, but it's not Elijah. Neither was that Samuel. Neither is, and here's where we all agree. Here's where Rob Skiba and Jim Staley and I absolutely agree that the Yeshua HaMashiach of the Hebrew Roots movement is not the same Jesus Christ as is in my King James Bible. That we both agree on. I believe that the Hebrew roots Jesus is another Jesus taught by these guys. Let me, let me kind of go over who some of these guys are. I've mentioned Isaac Luria. Isaac Luria, they call him the, um, the Arizal or the lion. He's the father of Lurian Kabbalah. He was a, a student of Moses Cordovero, who was a Jewish mystic, who heard a heavenly voice calling him to study the Kabbalah. Uh, some of these other names, they all believed that they were in contact with either the reincarnation, I can't remember the guy's name who wrote the Zohar. One of these Hebrew rabbis believed that he was the reincarnation of the rabbi who wrote the Zohar because he was getting inspiration from this Zohar author's spirit. In other words, this spirit was coming back from the dead and he was getting inspiration from that. There is this concept that Isaac Luria and most of Kabbalah right now is called Lurian Kabbalah. It follows his footsteps and his teachings. This shocked me. Isaac Luria taught that as a Kabbalist, as a student of Kabbalah, you go back to the graves of former rabbis, former students and teachers of the Kabbalah, the learned elders, you go back to their graves, and when you go to their graves, their spirit will come on you and give you an anointing and give you their mystic understanding of God and who the Messiah is going to be and so on. I call this church the anti-Bethel church. We're the Bethel church, Festus. There is this Bethel church in Redding, California, Bill Johnson, who's been teaching this same concept called grave sucking. Bill Johnson says that in the graves of all these Christians that have died is this unspent portion of their anointing. And he actually has his people in his church go find the graves of saints or Christians or guys like Smith Wigglesworth and people like that. They go to their grave, lay on their tombstone, pray that their spirit or their anointing would be taken out of the grave and put on them. And I'm just slapping myself in the head going, that's what happened with Saul. This dead thing come up out of the grave and gave Saul this teaching. And these guys, they call it grave sucking. They believe that they're sucking the unused portion of some guy or gal's anointing and getting it on themselves so they can finish the work that these people started. The Bible calls that necromancy. The word necro means they're dead, and they're doing magic and witchcraft and getting spirits from those that are dead. And these Kabbalistic rabbis, man, I'm getting fired up on this thing, Sheila. You ought to see me. Okay, These Kabbalistic rabbis, they were so decrepit of the true word of God that they would go to the graves of rabbis before them and have visitations of their spirit, giving them their mystical understandings, giving them their anointings, 
So these guys are writing all this stuff down and all these various hundreds of thousands of books that are all over the place. And lo and behold, you have now the Hebrew Roots teachers that are going right to those books. They're reading them. They're getting their understanding from them. They're learning the lingo. They're learning how the Jesus of the New Testament of the King James Bible is not the same Yahushua as what these mystical, witchcraft-practicing, necromancy-practicing rabbis, that their understanding of the Messiah is the true understanding, and the whole New Testament has been corrupted because it was, Rob Skiba actually said, that it was translated in Greek and it lost most of its true original Hebrew meaning because it was translated in Greek. And it just, it bothers me when I see people, like this email you got, saying the Yahushua's, and the Mashiachs, and the Yahuwahs, and all of those words, half of them, you have no idea what they mean, and the truth is they don't know what they mean either. You're getting this from people, and I'm just shaking my head going, they have fallen into the deception. And it, I, I'm like David in Psalm 119. He said, I hate every false way. Because Sheila, here's the, here's the bottom line on all this. The Hebrew Roots people, they're doing one thing, and they're doing one thing very effectively. They are taking people who would be followers of Jesus Christ in the New Testament, and they're converting them back to go to Mount Sinai to place themselves voluntarily under the covenant of Mount Sinai, not understanding that by doing that, they have sealed their own death warrant because the law is still the law. If you break the law in one point, you are guilty of the law, and guilt, being guilty of breaking the law in God's terminology means you're dead. And it's taking these people and putting them back under bondage. Jesus nailed it in Matthew 23 when he was going against the scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. And he said, and here's, here's where I really believe the Hebrew roots comes from. It comes from these Pharisees, and it comes from these Jewish rabbis who cross sea and land to make one proselyte. And when they do, they make him, and here's the language, twofold more the child of hell. What that means is they are now twice dead. That's this, they have already submitted to a covenant with hell and with death, and they are twice dead. And I'm afraid. I know there's some people right now, Sheila, on the fringe that have been kind of pulled into this, and they're kind of testing it out a little bit, and they're not sure. Those are the people that I want to reach. But guys like Staley and Skiba and, and Michael Rood, and uh, I mean, there's a score of others. These people like that, I am reasonably sure that they are already, the way Peter and Jude described them, wells without water, twice dead, these as natural brute beasts made to be taken and destroyed. That's what bothers me, is that they are making lots of disciples right now, and my goal is to try to help as many as I can understand that it's a trap, it's a setup, it's leading them back into the bondage of the Old Testament. That's the bondage, Selah, that I begged God one day to bring me out of, and I never want to go back. Amen. Well, you know, it's doctrines of devils, and to suggest that any Gentile believer who follows Jesus must be placed under Old Testament law, that's nothing but bondage. And regarding the freedom we have in Christ, 
The master himself said, if the son, therefore, shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. He didn't come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. It's not Jesus plus the cross plus. It's Jesus. And again, it's bondage. His whole Hebraic roots is straight from the synagogue of Satan. That's in my opinion. Mike, for the new listeners, give out the best website where they can connect with your handiwork. Watchmanvideobroadcast.com. The series that I just did is a three-part series on the, the real root and the familiar spirits that are behind the Hebrew Roots Movement. That series is there. Um, I started a, a new one this week on witchcraft and sorcery and wizardry and things like that. Pastor Mike online every Tuesday and Thursday. I do a live broadcast from Area 52 here, the secret broadcasting bunker at 1233 American Legion Drive. And, uh, but anyway, I do that live, and they can find that at PastorMikeOnline.com. PastorMikeOnline.com. There you have it. Thank you very much, Mike, for your time and coming on the program today to expose this very dark side of the Hebrew roots. Thanks again. Sheila, I appreciate you having me on. God bless you. God bless you, too. Folks, that was Pastor Michael Hoggard from Bethel Church. His information is linked there on today's bio. That's May 19th, 2016 at WeekendVigilante.com. And do not forget... If you have not upgraded to the latest version, the Weekend Vigilante app, please do so. We heard from you and we made those changes. And I want to remind people that this broadcast is 100% listener supported. It is uncut, uncensored, unbiased. And I do a lot in this ministry besides just the broadcast. I get a lot of requests for prayer, healing, deliverance. And I know through many emails and calls and letters that many of you tell me that you are very blessed by this ministry. Please do financially support this ministry. There are very few shows that are bringing you the uncompromised truth, so please do make sure that it does stay on the air. And for those that do support this ministry financially, I thank you for your support. Thanks, everyone, for tuning into the broadcast tonight. We'll see you tomorrow. Good night, and God bless you.